1: Is Lamar Jackson the greatest value in NFL history? Hard to imagine a team getting more for their quarterback for less money. Lamar Jackson at least tied with Russell Wilson for the MVP through 10 weeks. Been phenomenal. We'll talk about that with our friend from Track, the founder of a great website, Twitter feed. You should follow them. The best information relating to any contract situation Cap numbers, new contracts, old contracts, all sports, all of it covered by Spot Track. And in the final hour, 10 o'clock hour, we'll go out there to 95-7, the game in the Bay Area to talk about the Niners. Are those fans fair weather fans? Ross Tucker starting an interesting discussion there. And do they feel differently about Jimmy Garoppolo after last night's effort against the 49ers, a huge uh, against the Seahawks, huge win for Seattle in overtime, Myers, the game-winning field goal, Garoppolo, not great. Home and home, a Radio.com Sports original. We are brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire at ZipRecruiter.com enter. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. College football playoff rankings out tonight. We all know LSU won. We all know Ohio State, two. We presume Clemson, three. And Ross Tucker, a foregone conclusion that Alabama is four. Everyone will get angry, but eventually Alabama will, in your opinion, find their way back into the playoff, whether fans like it or not. Is that what's going to happen?
0: Well, I, I, don't, I, I know this, Dave. There is going to be a huge groundswell movement for that. It's unlike anything else in any sport at any level, but the, I don't want to say bandwagon, but the narrative of the SEC in general and the Alabama in particular is so strong that I just have a sneaky suspicion that they're going to end up in the college football playoff. The big Ten's only going to get one team. The ACC is just going to get Clemson. I don't know what's going to happen with the Pac-12. I'm not convinced that both Utah and Oregon win out. And then if the one that loses again ends up winning in the Pac-12 championship game, they're out. And I think a one-loss Alabama team gets in ahead of Oklahoma, as they should. The real question would be what happens... If a one-loss Georgia team who plays Auburn Saturday, if they beat an undefeated LSU team in the SEC championship game, then what happens? Because you have Georgia with one loss, LSU one loss, Alabama one loss. That is when it could really get interesting. And my guess is two SEC teams, We'll get in in that situation. And frankly, even if LSU just beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think Alabama probably ends up getting in somehow. You know, I think the only way they don't get in, it seems like, obviously, if they lose again. Or if Oregon wins out, I think Oregon probably gets in ahead of Alabama. It's interesting. Part of it, I think, depends on how Alabama plays against Auburn. In the Iron Bowl. I mean, if Alabama destroys Auburn, makes it kind of hard to put Oregon in since they lost to Auburn, even though it's the first game of the year, last game of the year. I just think, Dave, I think it's, it's nauseating. And it bothers me that even before the game's over on Saturday, you're looking at social media and everybody's saying, both these teams should get in. Alabama should still be in. Alabama should still be in. They lost at home. Like to me, they're in the college football playoff and they blew it. That's one of the cool things about college football. It's a November game. It's not like it's an August or September game. It's a November game. It's not like it was on the road or even a neutral site. It was at home. I think Alabama, I, I, I personally would put in a one loss Oregon A one-loss Georgia. I mean, there's a bunch of teams I would put in ahead of a one-loss Alabama at this point.
1: I think Alabama finds their way in. You're right about Georgia. If somehow, some way they could pull off an upset of LSU, you'd have to put them in. That won't happen. LSU should beat them big. But to your point about the conversation, I didn't even think we got to halftime of the LSU-Bama game. Before we heard the discussion take over Twitter, and he was even mentioned throughout the broadcast, the CBS broadcast, throughout the second half, could Alabama play their way back into not necessarily winning that game, but play their way back into the conversation. They will be number four. They will find a way back in the playoffs somehow, some way. Let's hope. For me, Minnesota can pull this off where they beat Iowa this weekend. They beat Wisconsin in the season ender. They win a Big Ten championship and give me row your boat in the playoffs. Not sure if they're that type of team, but boy, it should would be a fantastic story for college football. Not a great story for LSU was what happened after this game. Yet another example of why you don't use Instagram live in a locker room, whether that's Major League Baseball, the NFL, or college football. Mention all three of those because there was the St. Louis Cardinals who had Instagram Live in their clubhouse when their manager, Mike Schilt, went on an F-bomb-laden post-game speech and offended all the sensitive people out there that didn't want to hear it from a baseball skipper. He had to apologize. Then the Chicago Bears locker room, Kyle Long's schlong, was exposed on Instagram Live. There were apologies there and promises never to do it again. Then came the post-game LSU celebration in the locker room and listen to Ed Orgeron. Say you Yes, sir. We're going to
3: beat their ass in recruiting. We're going to beat their ass every time they see us. You understand that? Yes, sir.
1: I love Ed Orgeron, love the passion, the voice, the commitment, the enthusiasm, the way he kept pushing the foot down on the gas pedal, did not get conservative, wanted to win that game and win it big. You cannot help but love that guy unless you are from Alabama. But because of that Instagram live stream there, I'm taking Alabama by 40 when those two teams meet next year. There are already T-shirts multiple T-shirts with that slogan on it. Roll Tide, what? Fuck you, Ed Orgeron. Not just that one, there is another T-shirt being sold. Those will be all over the Louisiana State campus and Alabama will be well aware of it. I would imagine some of those players will grab some of those T-shirts. They will remember it. Ross, that's a mistake that will come back to haunt them. Which of the three... Instagram live incidents was the worst to you. Obviously I'm taking roll tide. What? Uh,
0: No, I would go with putting a guy's member on, (laughs) on, uh, uh, you know, on the internet forever. That to me is probably the worst. Kyle Long's schlong uh, being out there. I, I, I just, I'm amazed And evidently, you know, these college kids, they didn't pay attention to what happened with Antonio Brown when he did that uh, after the Chiefs' playoff win a few years ago or even didn't see the Cardinals thing. It really bothers me. Uh, You know, these things, right, they have totally taken over our lives. And I get it. They're great, you know, information. We're able to, at right at our fingertips, so many cool apps and Uber and Waze. Like, I totally get it. And I understand the importance of social media to young people and a following, and it's it's kind of a, a bonding thing. It's a camaraderie. Like, I totally get that. But goodness gracious, you know, there are some things that should be private and should be special and should be all about the people that are in that situation in the moment, right? Like your bedroom and what goes on in your bedroom with you and your significant other. That doesn't need to be on social media. That's a private, special thing between those people. In the locker room, after a game, before a game, halftime, whatever, That that's like a, a sanctuary. That's like a, a very unique area I know that there's plenty of guys Tom Brady among them that they love being in the locker room because it's like the one place where they don't have to be guarded they don't have to worry about somebody asking for their autograph or a picture what you know they can just be them because there there aren't cameras there aren't people watching and then you have stuff like this it bothers me it, it, it really does I, I'm I'm definitely bothered by it. I think it's really disappointing. And if I was the head of any of these teams and that happened, the discipline would be significant.
1: Um, It it will not be for Ed Orgeron. He said yesterday, I wish that never would have happened. It shouldn't have happened. I addressed it with the player who did it. No one's naming said player. Uh, He apologized. He felt bad for it. They will move on. It will come back to haunt them next year when these two teams play. That will fuel the Crimson Tide fire. They will talk about that all week long. Again, taking Alabama by 40 to beat LSU next year. A couple of college head coaching jobs are open, Florida State in particular, Arkansas, obviously, after Chad Morris was let go. And some feel Morris may have done the worst coaching job in the history of the southeastern conference he was a dumpster fire from start to the very brief finish question is would mike leach one of the most interesting characters in the college football landscape would he be considered for any of those vacancies or maybe usc maybe michigan state there will be a number of jobs open next season and if you're not familiar with mike leach He is a legend. He is the guy that called his team dumb, fat, entitled, called his team frauds this past week. They're one in five, by the way, in uh, the Pac-12, and they've lost five of six. But the beauty, the other side of Mike Leach is the incredible offense that he calls, the game plan that he brings, completely unique, and the things he says to reporters like this when asked about, well, zombies.
3: To this me. is a minority opinion, and I and I and I can uh, say that safely with the success of the shows and the movies. But I find zombies to be the most boring of the monsters. And, and what I don't like about <coughs> zombies is they're incredibly redundant. Um, you know, here's a zombie. All right, we we chopped him. Okay, now get the other zombie. Okay, boom. And, You know the the ash or decayed flesh flies somewhere. And then, um, uh, uh, you know, and it's, 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 so after somebody's killed three zombies, I mean, it's all the same to me. It's like, and then you wait there for an hour and a half. I think, I honestly think, I don't think I'd have to store that much. I'd try to store all my favorite things and, you know, have a nice, uh, you know, locked in space. Um, the zombies seem to be able to climb, so I don't think height is a, a big a deal. Um,
1: so there's Washington State Coach Mike Leach on zombies. Here he is on other Pac 12 mascots.
3: You have a horse, or is he on foot? Does he have a bone? What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We got to consider that. I'm going to say the Wildcats out. Uh, the Trojan, is he, does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? The Bruin, definitely formidable. Another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. Or it's unless we're going to go with a bird and somebody might get pecked or something, I don't know. The duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances.
1: Washington State coach Mike Leach is a beauty. He is a a one-of-a-kind. But the good, the bad, and the ugly brings us to this question, Ross. Would you want him representing your university if you're in the SEC and you are Arkansas, if you're in the ACC and you are Florida State, having dominated the better part of 15 years, having won national championships? Is that the kind of figure you want leading your program?
0: You know, it's interesting, Dave, because I... I would not want him leading my program. I, I, I especially, we didn't play the audio there, but I especially, I'm just, I don't like calling your players frauds. Uh, I'm not okay with that. Uh, You know, how about coaching better, Mike? You know, I, I just think, and I know, I think that that probably would play well in the South and that, If you are at Arkansas or maybe even Florida State, you would like that because they like guys that call it like it is. Uh, They like guys that call people names like that. They like President Trump, um, you know, in those places. Uh, And that's a whole other topic. But I just certainly, if it were Princeton where I went, or Penn State, where I near where I live, I, I wouldn't want him to be the coach of either one of those places. Now, I, to me, that that's not who I would want representing my university. And I don't mind like the uh, the mascot fights; that's kind of funny. Or the zombie thing; I kind of agree with him on that. Those are kind of funny, but he still kind of comes across as like a clown. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a sideshow. And, but what really bothers me is when he calls out his players publicly, overweight, fat, well, get him in shape. You're kind of the head coach. So that that bothers me, and I, I just wouldn't want him representing my university. I wouldn't rep- want him representing my team. But I think he could do a good job, and I think they would like him in places like Arkansas and Florida State therein lies the rub.
1: So for me, the answer is no. For those schools, probably. If you asked me a year ago, I would say absolutely. Um, but really, honestly, what bothers me the most is the fact that he's one in five in the Pac-12 and he's lost five of six games and he has clearly lost the players along the way. And maybe it was when he called them dumb, fat, and entitled. I would separate Florida State and say absolutely no. Different kind of boosters down there in the Florida State, in the Tallahassee area, that have different type of expectations. Arkansas. I love it down there in Fayetteville. That is good country. And when you think of the signature chant of Arkansas, ooh, pigs, suey, Razorbacks, that just, I feel Mike Leach. When I see one of the great chants in all of college football that takes over their stadium, or at least used to when it was full, not so much right now. I think Mike Leach would be a good fit in Arkansas If, in fact, he were winning, I would want to interview some of the players because he's clearly got an innovative offensive mind. But has he lost that locker room the way it sure looks on the outside? Do these guys like playing for him? And can he still recruit in the living rooms, in the family rooms, after this season with the comments you point to like frauds, dumb, fat, and entitled I think there are some parents out there that want a real tough guy to bring some discipline into their kids' lives. So maybe there are some family rooms where that plays well. I like it if you're Arkansas. Right now, you got to take a chance. Chad Morris buried that program. You need somebody with an innovative offensive mind. But give me Mike Norvell without a doubt. Mike Norvell before him. He is the Memphis coach. Young kid on the rise. Look what's happening at Minnesota. They took a chance on a coach that a lot of other people didn't think belonged in that upper echelon. Sure has worked out for the Gophers. So Norvell's going to get a better offer. It's just a, a a question of which school gives it to him. Mike Leach is a character, though. That much we can agree on, Ross.
0: No, and I would say you're right about Norvell for Arkansas because Memphis is right there next to Arkansas. Yeah. So he's already been recruiting – you know, so many of those kids in the same area, same high schools. Uh, I, I think that's a good call. Norvell to Arkansas seems to me to make a lot of sense. What doesn't make sense to me, Dave, is people that don't use ZipRecruiter when they're hiring. Look, hiring can be a slow process. Cafe El Torres COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter, said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address ziprecruiter.com/enter that ziprecruiter.com/e n t e r ziprecruiter.com/enter ziprecruiter the smartest
1: way to hire smartest way to get any information related to contracts salary cap situations who's the best value and the NFL is go to spot track It's on Twitter, fantastic website. If you just Google a player and their contract, you've probably been there a time or 10. The best sports financial information right around the quarter, Michael Ginetti. he founded Track. He'll tell us who is the best value veteran quarterback in the NFL after a real quick break here on Home and Home. Is Russell Wilson in the driver's seat for the MVP and at $35 million bucks a year, is he actually a good value? Is he a bargain? That's what SpotTrack says. Fantastic website and Twitter feed founded by Michael Janetti. Michael, great to have you on the program today. It's Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Love the website and the Twitter feed as well. Give us a little background on how you came into this and for the folks that don't know it, why they should.
2: Yeah, this has uh, been a 12-year run, actually. It's been... It was a labor of love to start something I was just interested in. And, you know, the numbers were kind of out there, but, uh, you know, not in a great, really presented way. So uh, I was building websites kind of pro bono for uh, some small businesses. This thing kind of came together as a, as a side project. And 12 years later, it's, you know, a 55 hour week job for me. So it uh, it's been a labor of love. We're doing all the different sports. It's not just the NFL, you know, baseball, football, hockey, all that stuff uh yeah it's been you know evolving we're you know we're not just showing the numbers we're analyzing them now we're projecting player values so you know to get back to your russell wilson point a little bit yeah there's you know we're, we're in an era right now where rookies are sort of dominating the headlines but guys like russell wilson you know you see the, the 35 million dollar price tag and you think well you know he's overpaid it's not even close he's He's the, he's the best value veteran player in the NFL right now, and it's not even close. By, by our percentages, it's about 15 percentage points better value than any, any veteran in the league right now.
0: And what is that based on, Michael?
2: So we run a bunch of mathematical equations that I'm not super privy to. I've got a, a partner who does that. His name is Scott <laughs> Allen and, uh, you know, former math teacher, converted sports analyst, of course. So um, we do a lot of calculations that build, build in stats uh production some some advanced metrics you you know age all those kind of things come into play nothing crazy advanced but it's essentially a calculation that we base price versus production and even at 35 million dollars he's out outplaying his uh his price tag right now
0: so michael i'm curious i I, am all over the site all the time very very helpful i really like it uh you mentioned 55 hour a job now (laughs) Can you just take us through kind of the uh, the business model and how big you guys are and how you guys make money and all that stuff?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you start a site like this and you throw some ads up there and you hope you make a couple of bucks and can pay off a cup of coffee every morning. Um, and, and really, you know, once traffic starts to drive, that becomes a, an avenue, an ad revenue, of course. So we're, we're living off of ad spaces still, and we're doing some, uh, some pet projects with some, some partnerships we have, th- you know, sites like The Athletic and things like that, to sort of fill that business side of it. And then we have a premium service where we sort of analyze these numbers to a, an nth degree, and we do some more projection work, and we have, you know, some previous uh, salaries. So we're, we go back to about 2012, 2013 with a lot of these sports. So we sort of uh, archive those in our premium subscriptions, which is $30 a year. And, you know, that's really it. I mean, we've got some, you know, some API, you know, situations where we're pumping some data out to some websites to help them out a little bit. And that's a bit of a revenue for us as well, but really it's just sort of get up and, uh, pump the numbers into the site and the traffic kind of pays for itself.
1: So back to the Russell Wilson question now, and certainly to me, the MVP, if it were decided today, but Lamar Jackson at the very least, um, yeah. second, if not 1B, is he the greatest value in the game today? Have you ever seen anything like it? An MVP caliber quarterback with a $900,000 salary, a $2 million cap hit? He,
2: I'd say right now for it's, head over heels, Lamar Jackson is the best value rookie. But you actually have to go back, I think, to Russell Wilson, who came out of the gates, you know, won that starting job right away. I think I think Russell Wilson might be the best value player right now and maybe the best value rookie in the history of the NFL. So it's, I think it's all Russell right now.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Um, let's talk teams a little bit, Michael. Uh, in your studies... What team do you feel like does the best job of managing the cap in terms of roster space, cap space, moving forward?
2: That's a great question because it's really evolved. I mean, we've seen, you know, when the, when the new CBA came out in 2011, there was a learning period for so many teams. There were so many teams who I feel were behind the the eight ball a little bit, um, and got themselves in restructure trouble and really cap hell. Um, everybody's gotten better at it for sure. I'd say, I mean, you, you've got to have a conversation about the Patriots whenever you talk about this, because they're just, they've are just, they been rewarded with the ability to do things other teams can't do in terms of team building, right? Because of their success, because of the dynasty they've put together, because of the, the clout they've earned, they can make trades at the end of August that other teams can't make. And when you can do that, you have the ability to make your cap fluid all the time. It's a, it's an all year round situation. Whereas other teams, you know, when they lock in their final 53, there's not much wiggle room t- essentially, right? We're seeing that get better as trades progress, as the trade deadline gets more active and we see more and more trades, that is really the best way to manipulate your cap, right? You, going out and signing free agents is, is a negative to your cap, of course, because you're always, almost always gonna overpay in that regard. So I think as teams get smarter with trades, which we've seen, everybody's sort of raising their own bar. But obviously the Patriots are, are one, if not one in 1A. Um, I really like what Philadelphia does. Philadelphia and Detroit in the past couple of years, A, they've been active both in free agency and in the trades, but they're both using what's called dummy years. And, and a, lot, a lot of people might not like this, but it, for, for what they're doing in these short little windows that they're trying to win, which you can understand both of them doing so right now with their different situations, Essentially what they're doing is they're keeping every single cap hit minimal right now. Nobody's really bloated outside of Stafford, which, you know, the quarterback is always going to be king. But I really like what those three teams have done in the past three, four years to kind of keep things active, keep things moving. You just saw Detroit make a big trade to Seattle, and it was questionable because they were still, I mean, they're still a playoff hunt team. Um, That's an example right there of a team understanding the business side of it, even in the middle of this playoff hunt. So I'd identify those three teams, and, and there's more to come. I mean... San Francisco, uh, you know, is a team to talk about in a lot of breaths right now. They've done things a little differently, and it's how they've always done it, right? San Francisco front loads their contracts. They essentially bring in free agents and say, we're putting you on a maximum one-year deal wrapped up in a bow that looks like a five-year deal. And, and when you're not winning, it looks terrible. It's a bad look because, you know, guys get paid a ton of money and then they're gone in 18 months. But right now, with this team being the way it is, You've got Jimmy Garoppolo and Tevin Coleman and these and these other you know, notable veterans on contracts that have already been essentially paid for. Sixty percent of the contracts has been paid for because they fronted loaded it all to the first year. So, I, you know, that works when, when it works. It really works. And right now they're in, they're in a spot when it really works. It can also be a very negative thing, too. So I put them in this conversation as well. That'll allow the Niners to move on from Jimmy G and sign Tom
1: Brady next season. But we won't exactly. waste speculation on that. Talking to Michael Gennetti from Spot Track, great website and Twitter feed as well. Those are the best teams at managing the cap. Who is the worst at it and what team right now is in the worst shape going into next season?
2: Yeah, it's a good question because some of the some of the good teams are in tough shape next year, and it's because they're sort of going going all in right now, like Minnesota, right? I mean Minnesota signed everybody. I mean, they didn't let anybody walk. They got it all done. Even Anthony Barr, who tried to sign somewhere else, they eventually ripped him back and gave him a contract. So, you know, a team like that is a good team who's just, because of it, has financial struggles. Um, Pittsburgh's a similar situation. The reason Pittsburgh isn't tanking right now, by the way, and is trading for a player like Micah Fitzpatrick, is because they just don't have the cap flexibility to tank. I mean, it, it would take a ton of work for them to break it all down, including Ben Roethlisberger, and start this thing over like teams like the Dolphins are doing. Um, so that's another team I identify as they've, they went all in 18 months ago. There's no way for them to get out of that right now. Same thing with Jacksonville. I mean, they got stuck with the Bortles contract and that extension that they should never have done, and they're still filling the cap from that. But that defense costs a ton of money. So Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, Minnesota, solid teams in cap trouble for 2020. Then you've got the Atlanta Falcons, who are not a solid team have really, you know, flown to the bottom of all the standings the last two years. And they have they're projecting to negative cap space right now in 2020. So you are going to see one heck of an upheaval this offseason. Once the uh, final regular season bell rings, I think you're going to see five, six Falcons players get just thrown thrown to the side because they've got to start from somewhere and they need cap space to do it. So that's that's a team I look at to say they're in trouble financially and on the field.
0: So I'm curious, Michael, we talked about the Dolphins earlier in the show about how we know what they're trying to do, but now they've won a couple games. One of the things they've also done, whether it's Ryan Tannehill, uh, where they paid some of the salary before they shipped him off to Tennessee and got a draft pick in return, or even more recently, to Tlaib, where they took on his salary more so than even the player— to get a draft choice, what are your thoughts on those moves by a team like the Dolphins?
2: It's super savvy, and to to the point of where I'm starting to see if we can if we can see that happening in other sports because I think it is a possibility, especially in basketball where nobody has cap space. So I, I think this is a this is a situation where not only are you tanking, not only are you trying to make yourself, uh, you know, get yourself to the bottom of the standings and clear as much cap space as possible. But buying draft picks, that's always been the way to team build, right? I mean, that's always been the way teams want to go go about getting themselves back in their, you know, back up to the top. Buying a draft pick, to me, you can't go high enough. I think what Cleveland did with Brock Osweiler is one of the reasons that they're a halfway decent team today. It's it's you know, it's a sixteen million dollar purchase for Nick Chubb essentially, right? I think a lot of people would take that right now to get themselves back in offensive gear. So, I, I, I'm I'm all for it. I think. If you're going to tank, do it spectacularly, right? Do, do everything. Trade all the, all the right players. Get all the draft assets you can get. If you want to keep a left tackle, you know, and build around that, I'm, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think maybe that that might be a, a point of contention for Miami with getting rid of Tunsil, maybe in a situation where they're going to need a, a strong left tackle for a new quarterback coming in. Uh, so maybe they went a little too far in that breath. But I'm all for, you know, acquiring draft picks, however you can do it at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I guess the, the flip side to me as a former player, Michael, I would just say, you know, even like the fifth-round pick yeah. that the Dolphins got for whatever, $4.2 million or whatever it is to pay Tlaib, I don't know, man. A lot of times fifth-round picks don't do shit. And $4.2 million, you could sign two guys for $2 million each that could definitely get on the field and help your team. Maybe if it's just a swing tackle or... Uh, a a backup defensive back, special teams guy. I guess I'm curious, do you guys have uh, what you believe is like the value for each pick or what would be a fair value for each pick doing what the Dolphins do? Because it seems like I get it, but you could also use that money to sign actual proven players, especially when you get down to like a fifth round pick. So many of those guys never do anything.
2: Nothing. It's a fair point. Um, And I've made a point recently about how, you know, even these compensatory draft picks that are being thrown out right now, you know, teams are loading up on them and their third, fourth, fifth round picks, which is fine. But the problem is you're seeing the great teams abusing this, right? You're seeing teams like the Patriots and the Saints and the Eagles acquiring these picks. And here's my pushback to your point. A fifth round pick on its own is nothing. You know, I I agree with you. It's nothing. It's going to work one out of 20 times. But three fifth round picks can now become a fourth or maybe even a third. And that's what these great teams have been doing. That's why they want compensatory draft picks. That's why they make these August trades. That's why they make these deadline trades that seem, you know, meaningless, that seem so small and insignificant. But when you have enough capital, even in the back of the draft, you can get yourself up to the top 150 of the the draft where impactful players are taken. And that's where running backs are coming. That's where second wide receivers are coming now. So, it, you know, a lot of things have shifted in the way teams are drafting. You know, we're seeing we're going to see five quarterbacks go in the first round next year. It's possible, right? I mean, so where are the other guys going to fall, right? Where is this this crazy class of defensive ends and and wide receivers going to fall? It's going to be late second, you know, high thirds. Um, if you've got three fifth round picks, you're going to be in contention to get yourself up there. So while I I agree, four million dollars can be used elsewhere. Number one, Miami's gonna have, you know, hundred million to use. Um, so four million really doesn't matter too much to them. And four million split two ways is essentially two veterans on minimum salaries. I don't think Miami's really in a place right now to sign veteran minimum players, nor would they have right. you know an attraction for players that come there. So it, I think I think they're in a in a window where four million dollars doesn't mean what it does mean to a team like the Saints or the Eagles right now. Talking to Michael Genetti
1: of Track, Check out his podcast on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify as well. Michael, I want to ask you about the Rams situation. Given Jalen Ramsey wants a top-dollar corner contract, Todd Gurley got one and certainly is not delivering on it, and Jared Goff got a four-year $134 million deal, certainly not playing like that kind of quarterback either. What do you make of their situation right now, given just months removed from a Super Bowl?
2: Crazy, right? How fast this has fallen? I mean, it's crazy. It, everything seemed to be, to be looking fine. And, and I went to my show and I I hammered away. I don't know if this team signs Jared Goff. I really didn't. I did, I was I was convinced that this was going to be the first team to have success with a rookie quarterback and say, it's not worth it for us to pay you the big contract. We're going to do this. We're going to start from square one with a quarterback. We're going to bring another guy in. We're, we're going to keep this train rolling with, with him. I, I was positive that was going to happen. So when they kind of flippantly signed Jared Goff, out of nowhere, I mean, really there was no... No rumor of negotiations even happening. Uh, it threw me off because they were on the heels of a Todd Gurley contract that was already, you know, situation. So it was almost reactionary that they signed Jared Goff because Todd Gurley's situation wasn't working out. So it was like throwing money on top of more money at that point, uh, which didn't make sense. The Brandon Cooks deal, I understand it. You had to pay him to keep him for another year. It's, it was essentially a two-year deal. Uh, so they're going to get out of that after this year, I believe, and, and take a decent dead cap hit. But uh, they're in trouble. You know, I, I'm making a long answer to say they're in trouble. <laughs> they, uh, they've got about 25 million to work with right now. Next year, uh, they're going to have to make some serious cuts. And the, you know, the defense is is okay right now. But can they fit a top cornerback contract into this right now? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So, are you going to make Jalen Ramsey wait another year? Is he going to be the, the kind of guy that's going to be okay doing that? Uh, I would I would lean towards no. So. I, they're in a very tough situation with a lot of their, you know, their five massive contracts not named Aaron Donald right now. Uh, I don't know how you fix this because they're not going to have the flexibility to go out and replace players with other players of, of worth. Um, really tough spot. Unbelievable fall for the last 18 months for them.
1: Yeah, the real-life drama surrounding the Rams, even better than that on Ballers on HBO. It looks like a rough situation for the Rams. Final question, Michael, has to do with the NBA. And Tony Parker, the legend, retired. uh, Spurs retired his jersey last night. And it couldn't help but just think, for me, like that team with the big three, Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan, drafted by the organization, stayed with the organization, won several titles with the organization. Will we ever see a team build that way, contend that way for for a decade or more, and have that type of legacy, dynasty, or will it all be the way we see now with super teams coming together via free agency?
2: It's a great question. I thought we were going somewhere with Golden State here. I really thought, you know, that the Durant stuff was kind of fluff and he was going to stick around because there's just not a better spot in basketball right now. He didn't. So we're back to square one with, you know, super teams kind of pocketing together every three years. I I don't see a way out of it. I mean, when you've got guys, you know, running up to owners in the middle of the offseason and saying, get me out of here, and it happens in an hour, uh, when that kind of power exists to the player, I, I don't know that. That there's any need or any care for from a player standpoint to do what the spurs have did for so long uh it'd be good it'd be good for from a fan standpoint i think i think fans would prefer some consistency and some reliability but you know selfishly on my end you know the the nba offseason was absolutely bonkers it, it actually outdid any nfl F, nfl offseason we've ever had on spot track so the player movement is exciting you know, but will it get old? That's where I'm going with it. Will, will it get old? I mean, yeah. is, are you sick of seeing Kevin Durant bounce around every three years or is it, is it exciting to see guys like that move so much? Um, I wonder. I wonder if it's cyclical and this thing all comes back around at some point. But as of right now, uh, the players own the league. And if if that's the case, they're going to go where they please.
1: Yeah, it felt to me like the true end of, of that type of dynasty we'll never see again. Michael Gennetti, we really appreciate the conversation. We could talk to you all afternoon. Love to have you back. Check out Spot Track, their podcast as well on iTunes, on Spotify, the website, and the Twitter feed. Good to have you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, so Ross, do you feel that way, that we'll never see a dynasty the way the Spurs were built? Drafting guys stayed with the organization, won titles with the organization. I'm not going to count, sorry, Warriors fans, what they did there because they got Kevin Durant via free agency. He was the NBA Finals MVP for two of their three titles. So to do what San Antonio did, it would have to be Draymond, Clay, Curry, and some pieces they could fill in around it. But those aren't the guys that necessarily won the title. It was the free agent acquisition. Feels like that day is just gone forever.
0: Well, I don't think it'll ever go down the way the the Spurs did it. I don't think that's going to happen with all guys being drafted by that team, like uh, Tim Duncan, Parker, Ginobili, and Kawhi Leonard, which is a whole other story. And I've talked to you about this before. I'm fascinated that the best player in the NBA was at one point the fourth best player on the Spurs. I mean, it's the testament to him, testament to that team and their development, for sure. But I I disagree with you on the Warriors. They won the NBA title and got back again with, I think, all guys that were drafted by them, basically. At least all the key guys in Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. Draymond Green I mean that's the heart and soul and the core of the team and yes Kevin Durant came I'm not sure they needed him to win both those titles I think they probably win one of those without him I don't think they win them both without him so then I think you have to ask yourself is two titles let's say Durant never went there is that a a dynasty I'd say yeah I mean Two titles and going to another one and losing, I would give the Warriors credit for that. So I I disagree with you on the Warriors. I think it's a team like my team right now, the Sixers. You know, they drafted Embiid. They drafted Ben Simmons. Just a little different, obviously, because now they have Horford and, and, and they got Tobias Harris. They're not really homegrown. I do think those days are over, but I still think, drafting and drafting good players is still a good recipe in the NBA. Cause otherwise it's hard to just acquire these mega teams. The Knicks have been trying to do that forever and they can't get anybody to come and we'll see how good the Brooklyn Nets end up being. But like if the Sixers win the NBA title this year,
2: <laughs> I doubt it, but that okay, would be amazing.
0: Um, I, I'll give them some of that credit. Like I'll, I'll give them a, a, a draft and develop team. Because they're not like their two best players are draft and developed guys. And then they brought in Harris and Horford. It's not like it was just some made out of nowhere Brooklyn Nets, you know, uh, super team. So that's a little bit different to me.
1: Well, the biggest difference is that team will not win a title. I mean, I, we, do, we joke about it, but I look. As presently constituted, that team doesn't win a title. Ben Simmons does not get it done for that organization to win a title. And and to the point about the Golden State Warriors, they absolutely needed Kevin Durant. He was the finals MVP in those two titles. He was the NBA finals MVP. He was the best player on the court. So they absolutely needed KD to win those titles.
0: And I think that they win one of those two finals without
1: him. So and the Steph Spurs would have been the MVP. Or Clay Thompson would have been. Maybe. The Spurs, on the other hand, Kawhi was only there for the fifth title, I believe, right? And they won four titles with that core group. We will never see it again. Now, caveat, now that Durant is gone, why I felt that ultimately in the long run, the Golden State Warriors could be better off because of the Clay and Curry injuries. Because what happens is, look, oh, I know we heard off so much bitching out of Golden State and how panicked the fans were and, oh, new multi-billion dollar arena. So damn what? You got to have one bad season? One bad season in the NBA? How many teams would kill to have one bad season and then reload and be an NBA title contender the next season? So they have the core intact. Clay and Curry come back. Draymond is still there. And then they get a top, let's just call it top 10 or 15 pick they could be loaded for another long finals run two or three years and could add a couple of titles and perhaps change that narrative and join the ranks of the San Antonio Spurs. There are a couple Western conference teams that, have an outside shot. I mean, the Denver Nuggets, um, largely a drafted team. They really can't compete in free agency when you're the Nuggets. No one wants to go there. Utah is a very good team as well that is drafted and, and just stuck with their core group. Again, two teams that really can't compete with the coasts on the free agency discussion. So interesting chat to have uh, regarding the future and the past in the NBA is Tony Parker's Jersey retired for the San Antonio Spurs. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll dip back into the big Monday night football game. As the Niners fall from the undefeated ranks, they are eight and one. And apparently it sounds like the fans out there are getting panicky. Sounds a little bit like those warriors fans, huh? We'll talk to Damon Bruce, 95 seven, the game in the Bay area about the reaction of the fans out there on west back after a quick break here on home and home
0: t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest
1: 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning right now families and small businesses can save up to 20 percent versus at&t and verizon when they switch visit your local t-mobile store today